and welcome back to another episode of the Hungry Takes podcast with Joe and Matt. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, really excited about the upcoming Super Bowl. A lot going on in the sports world, of course, today with the trade deadline buzz in the NBA. Matt, really excited about this episode, which I think will lend itself to also just some off-the-cuff uh, stream of consciousness with uh, sports talk. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the atmosphere we're living in right now, right? Like, besides the Super Bowl and the trade deadline, thank God for the trade deadline, there's just not a whole lot to talk about. And, you know, assuming you don't think the Olympics are boring, which to me, the Winter Olympics are boring because we live in a tropical climate. Uh, climate. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, the other thing about the Winter Olympics, everything that um, I see on TV that just strikes me is how dangerous all of those sports are compared to the Summer Olympics. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, you're, you're not falling too many times uh, and getting up with the stuff that they do. So, yeah, that's where we're at in sports right now, Joe. We're kind of in no man's land as we, you know, head into the Super Bowl and, and all the things. Absolutely. And speaking of that, let's start um, – at the outset with coverage and a prediction and preview on the Super Bowl 56 matchup between the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. Matt, um, how excited are you for this matchup? So pretty excited, basically because of Joe Burrow, right? And, and I'm, I'm on the fence because, you know, my heart truly, my heart tells me one thing, my brain tells me the other, right? And, and that is my heart says, Man, I would love for Joe Burrow in pretty much his first year in the NFL, right? If you don't consider, you know, he was hurt last season, or if you do consider he was hurt last season, winning a Super Bowl. He did so much for LSU. Uh, he is the story of starting from the bottom and then making it to the top. And then overall, he's got great swag. He's a really good dude. And so my heart says, ride with Joe Burrow. He can win it. My brain says, the Rams are fantastic on defense. If they sack Joe Burrow nine times with Aaron Donald and Von Miller, then Joe Burrow's in a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, I kind of get that sense from Cincinnati's standpoint. They're here ahead of schedule like a couple of years. I feel like people expected them to be a contender, you know, at some point for a Super Bowl in a year or two maybe, maybe a team that would make it to the playoffs and win a game this year, but nobody could have ever expected them to make it this far. Um, but you mentioned Aaron Donald, and I know that a lot of people are going to concentrate on the quarterback matchup with Stafford and, uh, and Burrow, and I do want to return to that more in a few moments. But I want to talk specifically about the Rams' defense and Donald because I feel like, Matt, when we appraise most Super Bowl matchups, we're kind of looking at what does a championship mean for the legacy of a quarterback. But actually, this matchup lends itself to maybe – the legacy-defining moment for Aaron Donald with the championship. And so my question for you is, how much pressure is there on Aaron Donald to win a Super Bowl? So, I don't know. To me, the pressure lies on Sean McVay, right? Like, I have a lot to say about the Rams team that, that is not being covered. You know, the thought is, can Sean McVay win a championship? Not Aaron Donald per se. Like, I understand how great Aaron Donald is. And, you know, you can even point the finger at the defense. Like, how does a defense with uh, with uh, Weddle and, and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and Von Miller and yada, yada, yada 
not win a Super Bowl. So I understand there's fingers to be pointed there. But to me, it's about Sean McVay, right? All of these coaches are starting to spin off the Sean McVay tree. And if he loses this one, right, then um, that will be two losses in a Super Bowl. And so I, I know you can point the finger at Aaron Donald. I know you can point the finger at Matt Stafford. But I'm actually going to point the finger at Sean McVay because, like I said, go check the coaches that are being hired. They are all from the Sean McVay tree or they're tangential to Sean McVay. Think Matt LaFleur. Think Kyle Shanahan. And so to me, that's where you point the finger. Well, interestingly, I did not realize this until this week. And I don't know how I missed the memo on this, but Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach, he's a former Sean McVay assistant. Actually, three or four years ago, he was the quarterback's coach on that team for the Rams that – uh, faced off against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And so, you know, that would definitely be an embarrassing loss for McVay to lose to his former uh, ment uh, mentee. And, and speaking of that, I guess my, my overall question for the Rams with the pressure I feel like that's on this team to win, could the Rams franchise survive a Super Bowl loss on Sunday? me again because there, there's a lot to understand there um, and, and I think it's a really valid question. Could the Rams franchise you know based on what we're talking about with the pressure could they survive a Super Bowl loss on Sunday? So I'm actually going to say no right and it's because they auctioned off their future okay so many draft picks to get Bob Miller to get Matt Stafford like all of this was built around the idea that this is the year to win a championship. And so uh, I, I think if you lose this one, especially to an upstart team, like you said, that should not be there. They arrived early on schedule. I think there's questions to be asked about Sean McVay. There's questions to be asked about the, the movement of the franchise with auctioning off picks and, and all this to acquire Matt Stafford. So, Joe, to answer your question, I think – they're in dangerous territory if they lose this game. Yeah, I think so. It'd be hard for them to come back. And I think that, you know, the um, pedigree historically for teams that lose the Super Bowl is not very good, with the exception of teams like the Patriots. And you could point to the Rams three years ago, but also, you know, the Rams have kind of shaken up their roster since then by bringing in Stafford, by bringing in Von Miller. You know, they're a little bit different than they were uh, three years ago when they lost to the Patriots. But we look at history, though. There's a lot of teams out there, a lot of examples of the 2015 Carolina Panthers or the Falcons from five years ago where they blew that lead to the Patriots. There's a lot of those teams that just kind of have a disappearing act after losing the Super Bowl. And so that's definitely something to pay attention to um, if the Rams lose. On the Bengals side, though, Matt, I, I think everybody views them as that likable underdog but what is the formula, in your opinion, for the Bengals to be able to pull off this upset? Yeah, so Joe, let's, let's press pause right there because there are three things I want to talk about. One, I, I want to finish off my thought on the Rams because I think this is important. I think two, I want to talk about that phrase you said, the likable Bengals. I'm going to hit on that. And then let's talk about what the Bengals need to do to win, if that's okay. Okay, okay. Well, starting with the Rams, um. What would you add as far as like just kind of the pressure and uh, complexity for the Rams? Yeah, so so here is the storyline that, in my opinion, is getting buried, and and I know you know where I'm going with this. Well, you don't really, but when you hear it, you're going to be like, "Oh, here he goes." Okay, 
the story that's being buried, the person who's got the most to lose in this whole Super Bowl is actually Aaron Rodgers, Joe. And, and I know that sounds crazy, but Aaron Rodgers is the guy. Okay, and what would be the reason for that statement? So if you go look at the different records in the NFL, okay, Matt Stafford is ranked number 12 in overall touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers is number five, okay? Now, granted, Aaron Rodgers has thrown a lot more touchdowns, like over 100, right? But based on that ranking and and touchdown passes thrown, they're relatively close. If you go look at passing yardage leaders for the NFL record books, Aaron Rodgers is at number 10, Matthew Stafford is at number 12, and there's only 5,000 yards, so let's say one season of difference there. So you know where I'm going, and that is at what point in time, if Matthew Stafford wins a Super Bowl, do we have to have that conversation? Aaron Rodgers holds himself as holier than thou, but what I'm saying here is, if Matthew Stafford wins a Super Bowl, then it is arguably a fact that Stafford and Rodgers are kind of on the same playing field, even though you like what you see on the field better with Aaron Rodgers. Well, a couple of thoughts on that. One question I was wondering about today is, do we overemphasize Super Bowl wins to validate success? And here's what I mean by that. You think about the quarterbacks over the years that have won Super Bowls. Nick Foles, Trent Dilfer, Brad Johnson with the Buccaneers. You know, none of those quarterbacks are Hall of Fame caliber and winning a Super Bowl, you know, did not enhance their legacy to that extent. On the flip side, do we put too much pressure on these, you know, Dan Marino's and Jim Kelly's or even, you know, an Aaron Rodgers that just has one ring to win a championship when, you know, the playoffs is kind of fluky. And so, It's a question, Matt, like I know I was a few moments ago talking about the pressure on the Rams to win a championship, but individually I do wonder sometimes if we put maybe too much pressure on these guys to win titles. Yeah, I think we do. Like I think it's unfair uh, to, to, you know, make the Super Bowl um, the the penultimate event, right? Because they're, like you said, there are people like Dan Marino – uh, Jim Kelly that don't have one, and there's guys like Nick Foles that you would never consider, or Joe Flacco that you would never consider like an all-time great Super Bowl champion or just uh, NFL player in general. But I do think there's a line of demarcation. Like apparently, like of course Tom Brady stands alone, okay. Uh, but I think after that, you talk about the quarterbacks like Joe Montana, okay, and you talk about the Terry Bradshaws. Uh, that that have all of these championships, and I think that's kind of the upper echelon. Okay, then after that, you talk about Peyton Manning, Roethlisberger, Elway with two of them. Okay, so I do think there are levels, and I do think we put too much emphasis on Super Bowl wins. But just from a standard of, hey, look, these guys are at the same level. It feels right, okay, even though Stafford doesn't always make it look pretty on the field. Yeah, it, well, I mean, to his credit, you know, he's had a brilliant season. I think I looked today at his stats. He's thrown for over 4,800 yards. Uh, he's had a really good postseason where he's completed 72% of his passes, like six touchdowns to one interception. So he's played really well. You know, he's played this year like a former number one pick you would have thought would have played. But I will say this. 
I do feel like by him joining the Rams, which were basically like a super team already that just needed him to kind of get over the hump, I never would be able to personally give as much credit or validation to him winning the Super Bowl as I would if Joe Burrow wins it for the Bengals. To me, that would be kind of the difference. I feel like if Burrow wins, it will be because of him. If the Rams win, yes, Stafford helped him. But basically, Stafford, if nothing else, doesn't want to be a liability on Sunday. Yeah, he, he did screw up. And I think that's a great point you made there is Burrow is going to get you to that championship. Like, if Burrow doesn't play, the Bengals won't win a championship. If Matt Stafford can just not mess up, like, if he has a zero interception game, then the Rams can win the Super Bowl. And and I do think so. I, I definitely take that point, And I hear you. I think the other point just about – you know, Super Bowl wins are not always the best way to look at stuff. You, you highlight guys like an Eli Manning, a Joe Flacco, and Nick Foles. Like, you would never compare Aaron Rodgers to Nick Foles or Joe Flacco. You would never compare Roethlisberger and Peyton Manning to Eli Manning, John Elway to Eli Manning, right, even though they all have two Super Bowl wins. So I think it is definitely worth maybe a, a podcast, maybe a discussion of hungry takes, Joe, to kind of deep dive it. But, you know, I, I'm like you. I think ultimately Burrow's got to play a great game for the Bengals to win. Stafford's just got not got to mess up, and I think that says a lot about the situation. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, I did want to um, hit on Cincinnati a little bit. I know you had alluded to the fact that you wanted to talk about both the likability factor of the Bengals and then also um, the keys or the formula to them being able to pull off the win. Yeah, so real quick, I think the key there is not getting Joe Burrow sacked nine times. And I know that's low-hanging fruit, and the reason why I'm going with that is Joe Burrow has shown that if he has time, he's going to make the right decision, okay? He's even shown that when he gets sacked and he's facing adversity nine times, it doesn't phase him. So if you can just somehow, and I don't know how, prevent Aaron Donald and Von Miller from getting to Joe Burrow, then I feel like that puts the Bengals in the driving seat based on the decision-making of Joe Burrow, okay? I'll let you address that, Joe, and then we can talk about what's to like about the Bengals. No, I mean, that's the key. I think it's like the the pass rush of the Rams against uh, the Bengals' offensive line, and I think that's the big concern if you're Cincinnati. You've been kind of living on the edge as you've been able to kind of escape the Titans and escape uh, the Chiefs, but facing the Rams is definitely uh, a much uh, stiffer test. But, yeah, I mean, likability on the on the Bengals is definitely, you know, a popular topic, and you feel like everybody outside of uh, diehard Rams fans are, are definitely rooting for Cincinnati. Yeah, so, you know, if, if you don't love Joe Burrow's story and, and Jamar Chase, right, the guy that couldn't catch, you know, now he's a superstar, and these guys are from LSU, and if you don't love the Joe Mixon story – an outcast for Oklahoma for having a fiery temper. You know, he went and sat in Cincinnati for seven, eight years as a perennial loser. Now he's, but he's always been this consistent running back. I'll give you one more storyline. None of those engage you. A lot of people don't know this, but Cincinnati was actually like bankrupt. Like, like the franchise itself. It is not one of the richer franchises and it's been in the owner, like a family ownership for like the entire length of their existence okay his name is mike brown and he inherited it from his father paul brown they are so poor in terms of franchises 
that they actually don't have an indoor facility. So they only practice outdoors because they can't afford uh, an indoor facility. And then here's the other thing. One of the reasons why they don't generate as much money, like the rest of the owners in the NFL actually hate the Bengals because the name of the stadium is Paul Brown Stadium. Mike Brown will not sell the rights of the stadium which gives you additional revenue in the NFL that the owners get to split. It gets you additional TV time that the owners get to split. Because he honors his dad and calls it Paul Brown Stadium, he will not sell out the sponsors, which ultimately takes money out of all the owners' pockets in the NFL. Well, the weird thing about Paul Brown Stadium for me is that if you're the Bengals your stadium is named Brown, and you're one of your biggest rivals is the Cleveland Browns. And so that's always been very weird and ironic to me, and I think I would change the name of it just for that reason, quite frankly. But, Matt, just to kind of finish our thought here on the Super Bowl matchup before we move into some NBA coverage and the trade deadline, I do have to get a prediction from you on who's going to win this game. Honestly, this is going to sound crazy, and again, it's a heart versus mind situation. I'm going to go with the Bengals. I trust Joe Burrow. I trust the fact that the dude is like 8-0 in important games, like must-win games. I trust his composure. I trust what I saw at LSU. Uh, I believe in Joe Burrow, for lack of other words. Well, here's what I think the Bengals are trying to do versus the Rams. The Bengals are trying to kind of rewrite the narrative of the perception of this franchise, as you talked about, you know, um, their history or lack thereof. And they're wanting to do it under the guise of the next superstar quarterback potentially in the league in Joe Burrow. And if he wins that Super Bowl, it's that validation. And he can kind of, you know, take the torch as the next uh, great quarterback in the league. If you're the Rams, you have all the pressure in the world because you're trying to validate their success and the aggressive free agency and trades that they've made um, with winning a championship. It's championship or bust for Hollywood versus uh, Joe Burrow, which is basically a Hollywood-esque story. So fascinating storylines there, Matt. At the end of the day, though, I'm going with the Rams to win um, just kind of based on my gut. And then you just look kind of at the analysis uh, leading up to this game. I just concentrate so heavily on the Rams' pass rush. The defensive, the household names we've talked about ad nauseum, I just think that the pressure they're going to get on Burrow is going to be significant. I think that, yes, the Bengals have some outstanding wide receivers with Higgins and Chase, but you also have plenty of offensive talent for the Rams with Cup and OBJ. And then I think that the running game is pretty even for both sides. Now, I am a little bit concerned about the fact that the Rams have struggled to run the ball some in the playoffs. I saw a glaring statistic that they're only averaging uh, 2.9 yards per carry um, running the football this postseason, and they've had some turnover problems. And so I say that to say this. The only pathway for me, Matt, for the Bengals to win this game is an out absolutely brilliant performance from Burrow in the Rams making some mistakes and turning the ball over. If the Rams don't make mistakes, if they can play a clean game, I just don't see a way Cincinnati can win just due to the Rams having the better defense and the all-around better team. And so I'm leaning Rams 23-17. to 17. So, so I'm actually going to go in a different direction. What I'm going to say is if – 
Cincinnati Bengals can take an early lead, then it's over for the Rams, okay? Because here's why. Let's say kind of like, uh, which is not out of the realm of possibilities, let's say that Cincinnati goes up early like Kansas City did, 20-3 to or 23-3, to whatever it was, right? To me, there is no chance the Rams coming back. And, like, I know how great the defense is, but here's why I'm saying that. Joe Vixen is sure-handed, and he has no problems running the ball 30 times a game and getting over 100 yards and a touchdown, okay? So you're going to hand that ball off like crazy. Joe Mixon will not fumble the football. Joe Burrow, on the other side, does not make bad mistakes. You don't have to worry about a strip sack. You don't necessarily have to worry about interceptions. You don't have to worry about just bad decision-makings. He will check down, check down, check down. And so I feel like if the Rams get behind early, ultimately Joe Burrow, the sure hands of Joe Mixon, can maintain that lead. For that reason, Joe, I'm saying Cincinnati wins 27-14. to 14. Well, did you know, though, that Burrow has more interceptions this postseason than Stafford? It actually surprised me when, when I saw that statistic today. I am very surprised. That's something, again, and I won't go on link here, just people are sleeping on Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford has played phenomenal throughout the playoffs, and I feel like there's that stigma that this is Matt Stafford. Yeah, 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 but that's not the guy that is playing in the playoffs right now. He is playing fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, you know, uh, kind of changed the perception of him. And wouldn't it be crazy, you know, prior to this year, a Stafford-Burrow Super Bowl would have meant Bengals-Lions. Can you imagine how crazy that would have been if it was actually Detroit and Cincinnati in the Super Bowl? That would have been wild. Uh, you think how crazy it would be if, if you were to put some money on the Bengals at the start of the year to, to win the Super Bowl. That would be unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, who, who would have ever uh, expected it? So, um, you know, hopefully we have a great Super Bowl, a lot of compelling storylines, Matt. Great analysis from you on that topic. And I think, you know, we're both uh, looking forward to seeing uh, who brings home the championship on Sunday. Um, speaking of championship quests, though, Matt, um, across the uh, National Basketball Association today, we had a lot of shock waves with some blockbuster trades that um, went down, uh, most notably, of course, the uh, blockbuster between the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets uh, with James Harden going to Philly and, of course, uh, Ben Simmons and uh, Seth Curry and some draft picks and company going to Brooklyn I want to start just by asking you, can the 76ers win a title this year with Harden and Embiid? Uh, without question. Embiid, you know, I don't love him as a player. He, he doesn't, I, I just don't like Embiid uh, since day one in the process. I, I never was in on that stuff, right? But the 76ers, hands down, probably the best team in the league now because keep in mind, Harden, yes, a little bit chubbier. Yes, got hamstring issues is one of the greatest scorers to ever play, and that you cannot deny how good Joel Embiid is. So, Joe, I say they are the forefront runners in the, in the East, of course, and I think they could challenge the West uh, to, to win the championship. The last thing that I'd love to get your thoughts on it is I just feel like Brooklyn got stole on here. Like, like the 76ers stole James Harden, and what Brooklyn got in return was next to nothing. Well... I may surprise you by saying this, but I actually was surprised that Brooklyn got as much as they did for Harden. And here's the reason I say that. 
is yes, you have the MVP, you know, prowess of Harden, you know, from previous years. But now, you know, at this stage of his career, he's missed games uh, the last two seasons. Like I have seen, in my opinion, kind of a drastic, um, not necessarily setback, but I haven't seen him quite at the level of the last couple of years that he was, you know, two years ago when he was scoring over 30 points a game. And so I was really surprised that you saw Brooklyn get Seth Curry, Ben Simmons, um, at least one other um, good role player. And then, yes, Andre Drummond, and then two future first-round picks. Now, granted, maybe they're lower first-round picks, but still, that was a lot, in my opinion, for Philadelphia to give up. And so I do think that suddenly Philadelphia has as much pressure as anybody to try to win. But at the same time, kind of curious with what Brooklyn's trying to do here as well in the midst of a, of a nine-game losing streak. So, so here's my angle, right? And I hear you on everything, right? And I still think at the end of the day, you know, you know I feel this way, James Hart has not proven that he can win a championship. His form of basketball, which is ISO scoring 30, 40, 50 points a game, did translate in Houston. Uh, it did translate when he was having to share the ball in Brooklyn. Although he did a great job sharing the ball, I'm not blaming him for that. But what I'm saying is it, it doesn't seem to translate. And so I don't know how that's going to work. I am not arguing about Seth Curry. You know, I love Seth Curry for player efficiency. I think he's like the steal of the league, right? And that's why he, he finds himself in so many different teams is because he's so valuable. I have no problem with Andre Drummond. He's a big dude, and he probably gives you some cap space. Like, I feel like that was probably a cap space move to where you can probably get rid of him next season, save some cap space, and then you get the first-round draft picks, which, okay, fine, okay? My issue is actually Ben Simmons, all right? The trade market was null and void for Ben Simmons, okay? So you inherit that, and now you have KD, who I love. You have Kyrie, who is a ball-centric point guard. He's either got to have the ball in his hands to pass it or primarily score with it. Now you bring in Ben Simmons, who doesn't score at all and is a ball-dominant point guard. So how does Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving play together? Like, does Kyrie become a small forward and goes off ball, which makes no sense to the way Kyrie plays? And then what do you do with Ben Simmons if he can't bring the ball up the court? Is he now only a power forward and plays low post and and grabs rebounds? Well, the fit I think I was looking at, I do think that there are certainly some justifiable questions there. But I always felt like, you didn't have a situation in Philadelphia where they had someone other than Simmons that could consistently bring the ball up the court and also be a threat to take an outside shot. And so I do think that Kyrie Irving helps with that. We did see, you know, uh, Philadelphia kind of have this revolving door of outside shooters. Like, you know, they had, um, I guess, Maxi is on the team now. Um, they've also had Danny Green, um, Seth Curry. So they've tried to kind of surround uh, Embiid and Simmons with shooters, but I do think it helps him to have a backcourt mate like Irving that they can shoot the ball. Yeah, and, and again, I, generally speaking, I love Ben Simmons, right? Like, I don't hate on Ben Simmons like the rest of the league does. I actually like his game a lot, um, and, and I don't know how to approach the, the not shooting factor, okay? I'll be honest. But I'm just I'm worried. I, the problem with Ben Simmons is he doesn't really fit on any team. And so if you get Ben Simmons in your team or, or on the Brooklyn Nets, 
and you realize that the Kyrie Ben Simmons situation doesn't work, um, what do you do with him now, right? It's already seen that the, the trade market was very tepid on Ben Simmons. My only thought here, and I'll throw this at you and get your thoughts, is they are potentially worried that Kyrie could be out of his way uh, or could be on his way out of the Brooklyn Nets, right? Like, he, he, he can't play because of vaccination status, and, you know, he gets his feelings hurt. So maybe they're thinking about life without Kyrie and pairing Ben Simmons and KD together. Now, that's pretty nice. That may be what they're thinking, because it does seem like, you know, the writing's on the wall that Irving may leave. But, you know, they are, like I said earlier, in the midst of a nine-game losing streak, so maybe they thought, you know, that a, a shakeup was imminent. Of course, you know, Durant's been out, so that's obviously a, a colossal reason for their uh, their lapse as well. But kind of curious, you know, to see where the Nets go from here, because, you know, uh, none of these guys are you know, getting any younger, and so they definitely have a lot of pressure on them to win. Interesting to see also, you know, how um, – uh, Philadelphia does as well with this trade acquisition. But Matt, around the association, any other uh, takeaways or thoughts on some of the other trades that we saw transpire? Man, the, the Lakers have a mess, Joe. And you know, you're going to say, oh, Matt just hates on LeBron. But seriously, from what I've seen on the court the last week with Westbrook and, and what's going on with that team, that aging status, uh, I think what really alarmed me to it not only the deterioration of Russell Westbrook from a scoring standpoint, but I watched um, LeBron versus Giannis the other night, and it really painted Giannis for me in a different picture. Like, you got to see what a beast Giannis was, and you kind of got to see the slowness and the aging of LeBron James. So it's kind of it's kind of bearing the two together, knowing they have big-time issues with Russell Westbrook, knowing they have no cap space, and then seeing how far apart they are from the Giannis's of the world. And then this weekend, ironically, me and you talked about this on a lot last podcast, it's going to be Golden State and the Lakers this weekend. So we'll get to see what that gap is between Steph and Clay and LeBron and the Lakers. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's going to be an interesting game on uh, Saturday night primetime uh, this weekend on ABC. But to my knowledge, the Lakers didn't even make a move at the trade deadline. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct, which is just crazy to think, but it makes sense because they have no pieces that anyone wants, right? And no one is going to take the Russell Westbrook contract of $41 million, right? They overpaid for him. He didn't fit on the team. I think they could have got, they could have re-signed Alex Caruso and gone after DeMar DeRozan. And instead, whoever, I won't point names, I won't point fingers, okay, whoever decided it was better for them to bring in Westbrook. And it's an ill-fitting piece, even though I like Westbrook, ill-fitting piece, and now it hamstrings them because they have no cap space, they have no assets, and they can't do anything. Yeah, yeah it definitely makes it uh, tough for them, you know. And as I've said just so many times on this show, you know, I'm tired of hearing people trying to evaluate whether, whether they're a championship-contending team. To me, it's just you know whether they're even a playoff team or whether they're even relevant. Um, to some extent, um, when we're talking yeah. about this team. I think relevancy, Joe. Like, if you had to ask, you know, which side are you on, playoff contention or relevancy, again, based on what I saw when they played the Milwaukee Bucks, I would argue because of size, because of age, and because of roster construction, that the Lakers are not even relevant. Joe, 
in a series, let's say hypothetically they played the Bucks in the first round of the playoffs, which they can't, they're in different divisions, but if they did, the Bucks would sweep them 4-0, and it wouldn't even be close, and the Bucks are not even the first place team in the East. Well, the other issue, you know, speaking of us seeding in the playoffs, I think that uh, we saw last year the Lakers make it to the playoffs as the seventh seed. And everybody was like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, what seed they are. Just get LeBron and AD in the playoffs healthy and they'll be fine. But Matt, you know, through the years, we've seen the NBA be the one sport where you can't just sneak in the playoffs and really make a deep run. I mean, every once in a while, I can think of maybe two or three examples where I've seen that happen. But it's so rare. I mean, it's not like the NFL where you can just get in the playoffs as like a six seed and make a deep run like the 49ers did this year. I mean, it seems like the regular season in, in, in your, your star power, that is completely predicated on how far you get in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's the star power, right? Like the NBA is the only league where you need two players and some dudes, okay? You have two superstars that are balling, okay? It can't be one – Russell Westbrook, who's not playing well, the other one's playing pretty good. You have two guys that are balling and some dudes, you can make a deep playoff run. If you have three, you can win a championship, right? And so, I, man, they, they got a mess. They, they absolutely, have, absolutely have a mess, and I, I feel like they don't have the star caliber that they need. They don't have the bench players around them that they need, and ultimately – uh, I argue that they probably won't make the playoffs. It's going to be tough for them. I mean, the only thing that helps them out, I guess, is how they expanded uh, the postseason as far as the play-in round. So maybe they make that point. But that'd be almost, you know, that'd be pretty embarrassing for them, you know, to make it as like the nine or the number ten seed um, in that situation. But Matt, speaking so, of two, go ahead. You know, one one last thing there, and, and I know you know for our listeners, they're going to think I'm absolutely crazy. Because I was running through the list of, like, what do the Lakers do, okay? Looking at the bench, looking at the players that are out there, looking at their cap situation, the Russell Westbrook fiasco, what is the best move the Lakers could make? I'm not talking about for a championship this year. There's nothing they can do for that, okay? I'm talking about for posterity, for future sakes. What's the best move the Lakers can do? Joe, I would have traded LeBron James. Because if you take a LeBron James, you put him on the Sixers, you put him on the Nets, you put him on the uh, the Bucks, wherever you want to put him, it doesn't matter. Charlotte Hornets, now they are a contender for a championship, and what you could get back for LeBron could help you rebuild the Lakers franchise from the ground up. Well, I think so, and I think they, they definitely need a rebuild at this point because um, now you're kind of just putting a Band-Aid on the situation. You keep on bringing in you know these players that are uh, veterans that have – you know, seeing uh, their their best years are behind them. And I've always thought that LeBron James is so much better in the Eastern Conference. Um, I was on record four years ago when he was a free agent from Cleveland. I thought that Philadelphia was the best fit for him to play with uh, Embiid. And so I think that that was definitely, from, you know, a competition and contention standpoint, a mistake for him, you know, not to to take that, uh, to take that um, situation up. But the last topic, though, Matt, I wanted to hit on before we conclude the show within the NBA. You know, we've talked about the struggles of the Lakers. We've talked about the trade deadline moves. But what's kind of quiet right now is the fact that tonight, Matt, on TNT, we're going to have an NBA Finals rematch between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. 
in both of those teams, you know, you kind of look at the standings and quietly they're right up there near the top of their conferences, respectively. The Suns are in first place out west with the best record. And, of course, the Bucks are just half a game out of first place in the Eastern Conference. So what are your thoughts on this rematch? Yeah, not a whole lot, right? I'm, I'm honestly more intrigued by the NFL awards tonight and then also uh, the trade market in the NBA. Reason being, to me, it's it's it kind of like Green Bay in the NFL, the Packers in the NFL. It, same thing with James Harden. You know how the season ends for Chris Paul. Really great year, arguably an MVP candidate multiple years, but he never can win the big game. And so that's kind of how I see any team with Chris Paul on. Even though I love the Suns, I love the Suns management team, I love the Suns players, and I feel the same way about the Bucks. except the Bucks generally just don't excite me. Like, I don't love Giannis' game. I understand how dominant he is. I know he's a beast. I get all that. I do not find the way the Bucks play basketball to be that entertaining. So I'm not huge on this game tonight because I know how the Paul situation plays out, and I don't love watching Giannis and the Bucks. Do you think there's any chance that this could actually end up being the NBA Finals again this year? So I think today's trade with James Harden is is very interesting. Had had Harden not got traded, I would absolutely say yes. Without a question, I think this could be a a rematch and and a vindiction, I mean a, a, a vengeance kind of game, right? Now that Harden has moved from the Nets to the Sixers, you really got a question if uh, the Bucks can keep pace with the, the 76ers. Because Embiid and Giannis, you know, that's going to be a tough match. Can anyone keep up with James Harden on the Bucks squad? And so uh, his scoring prowess, I should say. So after today, I'm not as convinced. But before today, I would say Suns and Bucks is a legit rematch. I did like the move the Bucks made kind of quietly by acquiring Serge Ibaka, who has championship experience. I think he's going to help them down low and add some much-needed depth. I, I agree with that. I saw that too, and I thought that was a pretty pretty solid pickup. Like, I understand Serge Ibaka is past his prime, <laughs> but he does give you stability at that center position. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um but any other topics, Matt, before we close that you want to hit on as far as uh, the NBA or sports in general? So I, I think tonight is going to be really important uh, in the grand scheme of things. So um, I, I think watching the NFL work tonight is going to kind of lead us into what happens with Tom Brady. And people can call this a hot take or whatnot. I'm interested to see if Tom Brady wins the NFL MVP because I find it hard to believe if he wins the NFL MVP tonight that he is going to sit out next year. If he does win it, and I'm not saying if he loses it, he will definitely play. What I'm saying is there, there are no other players that I can think of that wins an NFL MVP on their way out because of age. And when you win that NFL MVP, now you're putting the onus back on him to say, man, you can still play this game. You were the MVP last year. Why are you sitting out? And I think the last point there that gets discredited in the media is you only get one chance to play football, okay? You only get one chance to play any sport. You eventually age out of it, and you have to go on with your life, and he's right there. He has one or two more seasons. If he doesn't take advantage of it now, he will never get to play football again, 
And if he sits out for longer than a year, he will probably never play again. It's very hard to come back after one year, much less two years. And so I think tonight's NFL MVP award is really important because it will tell you a lot about Tom Brady's future. Well, I do think that um, great points there. I do expect him to not win the MVP, unfortunately for him. Would I vote for him? Absolutely. I thought that he was the MVP this year with the season that they had, um, winning as many games as anybody in the um, NFL, I believe, this year. I think they were 13-4. and four. It was just by t- a tiebreaker. They lost um, the number one seed in the NFC to the Packers. And statistically, I just think his season was so much better than – any other quarterback this year throwing for over 5,000 yards and leading the league in touchdowns. I mean, he had one of his best seasons ever at the age of 44. And so you look at that, it really is hard, um, though, to walk away. Um, And so to your point, I I think that, as I've said before on the show, I I think it's going to be a story that's not over. I think that um, uh, this is going to be something that's revisited all offseason. And he kind of you know, alluded to that by earlier this week on a podcast saying, you know, that, uh, you know, never say never. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think had Rodgers made a deeper playoff run, then I think uh, Rodgers wins the MVP hands down, right? But the fact that they kind of both got bounced at the same point, actually the Buccaneers made it one step further, uh, I think is really important. Um in, in the grand scheme of things, because I think they had an eerily similar year. They both sat out a game. Aaron Rodgers was for COVID reasons uh, of kind of his own doing, whereas Tom Brady did not uh, cause the, the issue himself. And so it's kind of on balance, the same situation. So who do you give the MVP title to? And to me, it's Tom Brady. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Everything, Matt, that I've read – it says that Aaron Rodgers is going to win, which like, I disagree with, but I, but I do expect him to win it. Yeah, and, and I do too. Quite, quite frankly, I expect that as well. So, you know, that, that, that'll be interesting. Um, the NFL awards show tonight. Also, you know, interesting to see some of the other awards. And there'd be a lot of people, you know, claiming that Cooper Cup, I guess, should be in that conversation too. I think Cooper Cup is a fantastic choice um, for that award. Having him on my fantasy team, uh, it was – incredible to watch that like mr consistent every single game two touchdowns three touchdowns over 100 yards you could argue from a wide receiver perspective cooper cup is just as much nfl mvp as any of those quarterback candidates oh absolutely you know we finally kind of saw in play the super bowl as well right right definitely the only one of that trio that we talked about in the super bowl and you know, as uh, we saw last year in college football or in 2020 in college football, you know, we finally saw a wide receiver, Devontae Smith, win a Heisman Trophy. And so, you know, maybe, you know, that could be something that could hopefully in the NFL open some precedent or open the door for, you know, other players at other skill positions or even defensively to actually be in the contention for the MVP. So it's not just, you know, a quarterback centric award. Exactly. All right, Matt, well, just outstanding uh, show as always. Uh, outstanding analysis from you as we get every week on the show. Um, thank you guys so much uh, for tuning in. Um, hope everybody enjoys uh, Bengals Rams this weekend. Or hope everybody enjoys watching some basketball. And, Matt, uh, look forward uh, to being back with everybody next week. Yeah, uh, another fantastic weekend of sports. Uh, the last weekend of football, we might add, Uh, So let's see what plays out.
Absolutely. Well, hope everybody has a good night and we will talk to you later.